A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> Alrighty, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. On this episode, I sit down to talk to Matthew Davis, otherwise known as Matty Wood on Twitter. Matt has a podcast, a Fabcast with Matt Cupfully, that is called the Fabcast, that is on the FTN network. Matt does some pretty good work. He writes some excellent Fab articles, and he has an awesome Fab podcast that helps you really navigate through the fab waters for 12 and 15 team leagues so i sat down and talked to him pick his brain on auction strategies nfbc format strategies uh amongst many other things so hope you enjoy it once again i'd like to thank everyone for their support for listening to the podcast and showing their support on twitter and the dms Really cool to see the outpouring support of the show, and I'm glad it could provide some good content for everyone to listen to. Baseball season is getting close. Looks like we're going to have a full season with full spring training, at least that's what the commissioner has mentioned. So pretty excited about that. Also, we're going to be involved in a battle of the podcast draft that's being held on the NFBC. Matt Davis is part of that, so we'll be talking about that a little bit. And, yeah, show your support to all your analysts that help you get me prepared for your draft. Make sure you spread the love. Let them know how much they're helping you in drafting for the season and all that fun stuff. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. Tonight, my special guest is Mr. Matthew Davis, a.k.a. Matty Wood. Matty Wood, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good, Rob. How about yourself? It's almost 10 p.m., which uh, over there where you live, which would be past my bedtime. Yeah, is it? 10 p.m., that's yeah. it? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm lights out by then. Usually, almost sometimes before 9 p.m., um, maybe get a little past 9 p.m. if i'm feeling frisky i feel uh, like you west coast guys have a little edge on the on the dc that end at 2 (laughs) a.m we yeah yeah we definitely do especially if (laughs) especially if we're on a turn and we know uh we have that extra time it's it's definitely needed and i'm like i'm the i'm the type who can't go to sleep like until like the last person picked i stay up i watch it and like a lunatic you, you, Mike Masato, and Zach Waxman—all three. You guys are all the same. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> it must be something on the um, east side over here. So, um, yeah. So, I'm excited to get you on tonight. Talk a little baseball, but um, but with all my guests, I like to talk about how you grew up getting involved in baseball. So, I like to get the backstory. You know, when did you start playing, all that fun stuff. Yeah, well, I was only an all-star in Little League, so that, that fell short prior uh, to getting into Babe Ruth and whatnot. So my career wasn't long, but I've always had a passion for the game. And then once I was in college, I started to create fantasy baseball leagues with roommates and other friends. Um, and then as a kid growing up, my first game was Dodgers and Mets. And I remember it was it, the thing that stood out to me was John Olerud at first base for the Mets and he had a helmet on. And so people were kind of giving me the knowledge as to why John Olerud was wearing a helmet. 
Um, and then I'll never forget the first day, uh, first game I ever went to because I had an accident at the hotel we were staying at in Los Angeles and I split my head open on a, on a treadmill and ended up in the ER. So it was an interesting day of events, but, uh, I ended up falling in love with baseball. And even, even as a two-year-old, I have photos of me with 1988 world series gear on and all that good stuff. So that's awesome. Who's your all time most favorite Dodger? Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. You got the uh, goat name Kershaw, right? You're correct. That's Kershaw awesome, and Kobe. <laughs> Kershaw and Kobe. I mean, that's great. Um, I'm a big fan of both of the guys. I love like ultimate competitor types, um, guys who establish like dominance in sports. And Kershaw's been doing that, you know. Cheers to him. The I hope he gets another ring this year. Maybe if they get past the Mets. <laughs> we'll see. I, I I actually, you know, I'm kind of bummed that uh the trade happened already. I'm excited for Carrasco and Lindor and the Mets. Um, but I I wanted to place money on them to win the World Series actually, but oh. those odds are probably out the window now. So kind of with the net uh with the Nets as well. Are you a? I know you're a basketball guy. Are you a Brooklyn Nets fan? I am a Brooklyn Nets fan. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I've I've on the I'm Team Never Knicks. Uh, my I never grew up with the Knicks and I despise them. Like the only like organization I really can't stand. Um, and cause I'm like really easy with sports. I'm very, I, I don't like hate players, but I hate the Knicks. Um, so yeah, I mean, this trade was pretty crazy. Um, it hits me in multiple ways. I'm so torn about it. Um, I love Jared Allen. I love Levert. And I feel like uh, we didn't need to take on Harden, but, but then, you know, I continuously see, you know, that we have seven of the uh, last 11 scoring champs. Uh, it's, I don't know, it could be fascinating and could be disastrous. So, but I'm hoping that um, D'Antoni like vouched for him. You know, I'm thinking that's part of the thing. I'm thinking Nash was like, hey, what do you think? Can we, like, can this guy make it work? And, you know, D'Antoni saw it and I don't think he would be bullshitting. And he, it's not like he doesn't work hard. He's just got, uh, this last move he made was kind of, weird because I didn't think the Rockets were that bad but so but he played his hand it's that's the way the league is they have the leverage uh I know some people don't like it but like um I don't know I'm in a union if I had that as much leverage as them I'd be like fascinated I would be like in heaven right like you're like you're the same way right if you had that hand like they do it's uh they got some I think serious, I do at the post office they got some, <laughs> they got some serious leverage man so but yeah. I don't know um I'm excited to see what could happen I just uh I don't know this is what this now this leads to them signing Tyson Chandler I just read and he's gonna be the backup center now uh but those three guys should make it work so that's what I'm banking on but I think it's it's a safeguard to if Kyrie does this disappearing act at least just now Harden's there to carry it with Durant and it's you know it's probably still enough to get by in the east even without Irving yeah well uh, as a Lakers fan see you in the finals yeah I still don't feel confident playing the Lakers. De- you know. Definitely a different style of basketball, but uh, oh, yeah, people are people are already probably uh, getting off of this podcast, but because I brought up basketball, <laughs> I like basketball, so we'll talk about it. No, that's exciting for you, man. Um, yeah, re- really cool. Um, are you are, so just yes or no? Uh, are Jets fan? Um, I used to be. But oh. but, it, but it was like a blind. It was like a. It was a blind relationship. It was the first football game I ever went to, and I kind of just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a Jeff fan. But it was it was a it was a road I should have never traveled. But I don't yeah. really root for. I don't really watch a ton of football as much as I used to. So um, I don't okay. really have a rooting interest in them. But um, I know you are because I see that fancy seat that you're sitting on. <laughs> <laughs> are they gonna pick um the alabama wide receiver i hope they go with the guard from oregon right that's yeah. the, that's the smart move yeah that's and i would like to see them hold sam or um maybe even trade back and accumulate more picks because they have two two in the top 23 they have the first uh, the second pick and the 23rd pick thanks to the seahawks for getting rid of jamal adams so We'll Jamal. see. Yeah. We'll but see. yeah, I'm a legit, I'm a, I, 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 it's gross to say that, uh, a, 
a legit Jets fan or however you want to call it. Um, I well, wrote legit. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So let's circle back. To, let's circle let's back talk to baseball, baby. Fantasy baseball. <laughs> so you said you started creating some fantasy baseball leagues. I heard you say that when you were talking about your baseball opinion. So um, tell me, is that is that how you just started to fall in love with fantasy? Yeah, um, it actually it actually started in high school, um, but then in college I became a commissioner, air quotes or whatever it is. But that's a terrible fucking job. I hate doing it. Um, it's a ton of work. But yeah, it is. But you got to keep these leagues going, and um, the um, I still actually do have one that's a twelve team auction keeper league, all that good stuff. Um, but I've I've gotten rid of, or we have gotten rid of keeper. Um, leaks for now because I thought that redraft would be a little bit better with the situation going in 2020. So maybe we'll relook at that uh, going forward, but we hit the reset button last year for the first time, but yeah, I've been doing that since 20, 2008 and then got into the NFBC in 2014 with my auction partner, Zach Betancourt. We won the RotoWire online championship in 2014 and finished in the top 10 overall. And then in 2015, we headed out to Vegas and got our asses whooped in an auction championship. And we, and let me tell you, we thought we were really cool because we were splitting one like $1,400 team or whatever it was. Um, but we learned some lessons and then came back and uh, finished sixth overall in 2016. So that's how I got into it seriously. Um, and then it's just kind of grown from there into a sickness, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, I started playing when I was 14 and me and my brothers picked, picked teams, picked guys after the season ended it was like almost like the retro draft that these guys had going on in the industry um during the shutdown um we sat there in the summer and we just like picked guys and then we added up all the stats and um that's how we did it post post season that was my first ever week was uh afterwards we got the stats as we knew it it's uh <laughs> some way to draft but um ever since then i've been hooked and Obviously, last year was my first year in the NFPC, and now I'm, like, really hooked, especially meeting all you guys, talking to you, and hearing about your experiences in the, you know, playing in the NFC. So, um, I'm excited. It's um, a cool thing to be a part of. You caught so, on very quickly. Very quickly. I love it. You caught on very quickly. I remember you <laughs> messaging me um, when you were like, hey, I'm signing up for a DC, uh, you know, narrator you won the overall $30,000. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Well, welcome welcome to the NFPC in the community. Fucking well, A. Yeah. Way, to, way to knock on the door. Like, fuck right. it. You're like Jack Torrance in The Shining fucking with an axe. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Came right <laughs> you in. good. Came yeah, right my in. man. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. That's awesome, dude. Um, hey, yeah. Uh, we're going to be drafting together actually starting on Friday as well. We're going to be doing, uh, you're, you'll be promoting and representing your podcast uh, I will be representing Matt Cufferly and I for the FTN Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and we're going to be doing a 15-team DC um, with nothing but podcast hosts. Uh, are you going to be able to Zoom on Friday night? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm pretty excited for that. I that was like one of my initial ideas. That you know, I threw out a couple things to the group because I thought it would be cool. Like we had this opportunity to, you know have people get inside our brains and see our process and we get the opportunity to hang out with each other, you know, get to know each other even better. So yeah. Hell yeah. Wouldn't miss that. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be fun. Definitely. Hell yeah. Definitely going to be fun. So I started listening to your podcast early in the year and um, definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Love it. Um, and you always mentioned, um, you know, you, you say, when I do my projections by hand and I've, and then I always like, my first thought is, you know, pen, uh, I mean, pencil, graph paper, ruler, like, is that the by hand I'm thinking about? Or is it just. Is you it you are. Yeah. Calculator? Yeah. Um, so, so it's, a, it's, it's it. basically an aggregate uh, where that's where it starts from. So I take, you know, pieces of everybody's pie or, um, projection systems that I have trusted or have used in the past. And I basically throw them all in together and it spits out, you know, my aggregate. And then while I'm doing that, I am actually calculating everything by hand with a, uh, with a calculator. Um, I like to do that because I'm physically seeing and intaking the data from each projection system for each player. And after doing that, 
um, I, I type it into my own sheet or model or whatever the hell you want to call it at the end, the projection system. And then I take it under a magnifying glass. And then I have all these other criterias that I dissect into and adjust that aggregate. And then that's how you get my projection. Um, and then I'll actually end up adding those players and breaking them down per team and precision and all that other cool stuff. Awesome. Or not cool. I don't know how cool it is. No, it's, <laughs> it's, no, it's cool. great. Yeah, no, because I, I always wonder, like, every, I envisioned, you know, because I know I like to write things down, too, with my pencil. It's, I feel like ever since I was in school, like, when I wrote something down, it would be more ingrained in my brain than, you know, spitting the things out on the computer and just, like, looking at it. So I feel like I, I retain more things doing it that way so yeah i always wanted to ask you about that because i always hear you say that by hand so i just i was wondering if that was the situation cool yeah yeah it legitimately is by hand but and it is a process and i know there's um people like uh especially if alex chamberlain is listening he's like what a fucking idiot <laughs> that guy you know he's he's a he's he's a fucking scientist he could build a he could build a helicopter in his backyard if he wanted to so um people like that are probably just rolling their eyes at me but it helps through my process of understanding the player pool and you know you know just just the whole depth and in general it it just helps me i guess it's just part of my process and right. i like doing it you know it's it's kind of like you know people wake up and have their cup of coffee or tea and they read the newspaper or whatever it is these days on their ipad or phone and that's kind of like something during this time of year where i'll you know just set aside an hour or two on a day off and just go to town and slowly but surely I'll have my projection system built. Awesome. I like that. That's a, I think that's um, a pretty solid approach. Sounds, you know, very, uh, not, it borders on the line of, of like, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I like the approach though, because like I said, I like to write stuff down. I like to do things the old school way. I'm getting better at these spreadsheets, but it's still like, I feel like I do so much better when I write stuff down. So what you're um, trying to say is it isn't efficient. It just matters how you get there. And if you get there and if you trust it, you feel good and you have success, which you do. So, um, so listen, I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about innings pitched and and risk talk. It's another thing I heard on your podcast. You were saying that we're we're hypocritical in the way um, when it comes to pitchers in terms of like the way we talk about risk and injuries. And I wanted to know um, a little more on that if you were willing to elaborate on um, on that point. Absolutely. So. We've seen workhorses. So the number one pitcher going in ADP right now is Garrett Cole. And so I'm going to use him as the, the prime example or the top example, um, because he's the guy going first overall over the last three years, three years, I'm going to exclude 2020. So from 2016, 2016 to 2019, Cole averaged hundred or, uh, 205 innings pitched over those three years. And a player that's been being discussed as a love or hate or a risk um, or they're, they're fading them or whatever is Clayton Kershaw. Over that same amount of time, Clayton Kershaw's average innings pitch was 171. The difference was 34 innings pitched, which is pretty significant. Over that time, the Dodgers, um, we call it Dodgeritis, they will um, do scheduled maintenance on a pitcher like Clayton Kershaw. They, they do these things premeditated. And I think that coming into this season after a weird 2020, we might see a little bit weird uh, in 2021. It could still be a little bit weird. And if we don't see pitchers throwing 220 innings, which Cole's average for three years was 205. It isn't even 220 really. If that's deducted to let's say 190, 180, I'm thinking maybe even 180. Let's say that every team wants to throw in, maybe it's not every week, but there is a six-man rotation here and there. Or they do these little fake IL stints here and there um, when pitchers might not just be feeling ready after their 16th, 17th, 18th start because they didn't make that many starts last year and their bodies are just not reacting the same. We really don't know. But I think that banking on 
even Garrett Cole for 205 innings is wrong in this season. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I, um, uh, that's, you know, another story, but let's just hypothetically say I'm right. And you get a 180 from Garrett Cole because it's not 205. So you lose 20 innings pitched, which was what, four to five starts. Let's say four starts. So he pitches 31 starts, which is still pretty fucking good. And Clinton Kershaw gives you that premeditated scheduled maintenance of 160 or 170 that we saw from 2016 through 2019. And don't forget in 2020, he did pretty, he had, his, uh, he had that maintenance still done. But if you add on the playoffs in the long run that they had in the world series, he's now pitched just as many innings or more than Garrett Cole. So that's in 2020. And I'm not saying he's going to pitch more innings than Garrett Cole in 2021, but let's just say he throws 160, 170 and Garrett Cole only throws 180, 190. Now that gap's only 20 innings pitched. So a pitcher like Garrett or Clayton Kershaw isn't a risk to me when you, when you look at just the quality of innings pitched and you say, whoa, he's way below the mean. He's not, he's, he only throws 170, which I don't know why people keep throwing out 150 for Clayton Kershaw. Where is that number? I know that he did it once in, you know, previous years of 148 or whatever it was, but 170 over that average of three years, isn't that bad. And I think people are thinking the 205 is 220, right? right? So I mean, or maybe I'm wrong, but that's, it's not 220. His average Garrett Cole, and he's a horse, right? He's the horse. And it was an average of 205. The difference was 34 innings pitched. And, and I'm not saying that Kershaw's workload will be Cole's, but I think going into 2021, Kershaw's workload might just still be what it has been. Because they're they're already premeditating and scheduling those maintenances, so right. they could be in a in a one sixty two season. He's still going to do that. Let's say one seventy one because they scheduled those Dodger itis IL stints. Well, what if other teams start to pick up on this, and now those two hundred fives like Cole are down to one eighty or even one ninety? Interesting. It's. Not the big of it's not a big of a gap. So for somebody like that, I'm not going to overreact. Right. And I think I think like you're saying, because of the crazy season, that um you wouldn't be surprised, so shocked if like you're saying, if things fall, like you're saying, it's not with it's not like a ridiculous thing you're thinking about. It's very it's a, a possible thing that can happen. So absolutely. I think that's a good point. Um because I was thinking it while while I was hearing you say that on your podcast, it just triggered a whole bunch of um, thoughts. Like I was reading in the baseball forecaster as well at the same time, showing like the difference in the amount of innings that starters and relievers are throwing, and the difference in the wins too from starters to relievers. And it's a pretty dramatic um, increase for the relievers. So the starters are working a lot less. So. I know it's still good to have your horses, but I think at some point, right, is there a tipping point where, you know, the 140s, the 150s, the 160 guys, like, will they have a, a point of, of, like, holding more value? Because at that point, everyone might start to be at that level. Yeah, because I think I think that mean goes down when the elites aren't throwing 220 or 205 or, you know, 190 then it decreases. And then that gap, the gap just isn't simply as large. I like, and that doesn't go like for me, and this might sound me being a hypocrite. And then me saying, I don't want anything to do with Corbin Burns at his cost. And then they're going to say, well, the rebuttal would be, well, you just said that the gap in, you know, innings pitch isn't going to be as large, but for somebody like that, I, I think he does have a lot of different volatility in his range of outcomes and innings pitched rather than somebody like Clayton Kershaw or Zach Gallen or even his teammate, Brandon Woodruff. I think that those guys, if it's 160, 170, I think that's fine. Um, I think it's, it's plenty good. And we should, you know, it, we're already, we're already over evaluating uh, pitching and it's only going to get worse. So just join the party. Join the party. <laughs> no, I know. I've been making some decision points that have been pretty interesting in my brain. And, um, but yeah, so, you know, that's, I was thinking about those things like, you know, will there be, uh, I know the pocket aces is very, you know, like a comfortable thing people are doing now. Or, you know, the, the full house is, is that the, I, 
this one I just learned about on Bubba. You told me about the full house. Is that three out of five starting pitchers? Um, You're going to see a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So come, but, main, come the main events, you'll see a lot of that. Right. Three, absolutely. three pitchers in the first five rounds is going to be like five out of 12 or 15 teams. Six out of 15 teams will have that start, I think. Right. And then, you know, that's what I was wondering, like at that point, is there, is there a, a point where, you know, maybe gobbling up the, like the better 140, 150 and then guys, is, is that become a point where that becomes more of, of a viable strategy just to like, at least go against the grain, but can you compete doing it? You know, maybe that's the new Lima method. Right. Correct. Maybe yeah. that's like the kind of new, you know, direction of that, that the forecaster talks about, um, but it could be um, Zach yeah. and I have tried to actually the year we won the auction championship in 2016 and finished sixth overall, we allocated, I want to say it was less than 25% of our budget towards pitching. So we kind of went that method um, wow. and just, yeah, it's really hard. And uh, to be honest with you, we won't be doing that again. Right. And we've had, you know, and we had success that you're doing it, but it's not something um, I do not recommend that. No, Uh, you need your pitching. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough to really nail that. Like if you if you attempt it and and you're not sweating it, you you must have nailed everything. But it's otherwise. Yeah, it's it's not um, it's not easy. It's not easy to pull off that type of draft, Um, especially because like I said, the pitching just getting pushed up so much now. Um, Pretty wild. It's only um, gonna get worse. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I Promise. Mean, it was worse. It was horrible in November to start the um the drafting, but I know we'll see what happens on starting on Friday. <laughs> so the NFBC, um, the, the main event is that is that your favorite? Is that your favorite um format? Yeah, I believe so. Um, 15 teams with an overall prize, solid league payouts, um, 23 rounds plus the seven reserves with your full fab. That's typically, typically, yeah, my standard favorite format. But I will, I will, I will note that um, participating in the live event auctions is a lot of fun. But over the years, um, or just the time spent there, it's really taxing. Yeah. in those rooms doing an auction live it's it fucking wears you down so I, I would i would vote main event so i see this year you had successful year in the main event um walk me through um you won obviously you came in first tell me about your team what what kind of um draft did you have what kind of team did you end up with who is your uh, most valuable player per se uh, yeah, I teamed up and co-owned that with Zach Betancourt, my auction partner. There was no auction, so we had to pivot to something because we're degenerates and we weren't just not going to do anything <laughs> together. Um, we actually had the first pick, and our initial plan was just drafting Ronald Acuna. When we when KDS was dealt and we received the first pick, it was like, okay, we're going, you know, we're going. It was RAJ in all caps, like that's who we're going. Um, and then we woke up come main event draft day and both of us were like, Hey, we need to go Cole. We have to go Garrett Cole. There's no other option here. And that's where we went. And although he didn't put up, you know, the SP number one overall or anything like that, he was, he was just stable throughout, but um, no thanks to Javi Baez, who we had a lot of exposure to. Um, he wasn't the person that helped on offense. Uh, it was thanks to Manny Machado. He, him and Corey Seager were the two combinations on offense combined nice. with Marcel Ozuna. So mm. we kind of hit the stone cold nuts on the three National League hitters um, there. And then going on the pitching side, we, we, we got fortunate finally because we, especially with that Lima method that we had kind of used in the past, Dylan Bundy uh, finally paid off dividends uh, once and for all. And so he was a big part of that rotation as well. And then it was just pieces that kind of pitched in here and there. We didn't overinvest. This was the one team um, we went Josh Hader. And then after that, we kind of, we kind of punted saves for a little bit. And then we got lucky with Brian Presley. And I think that's kind of, where a lot of teams have a huge of success, especially in an overall is you, you get that stable closer at first 
And then that second one is just kind of a diamond in a rough that you kind of find in the dirt later on. Um, I've kind of noticed that. Uh, and Ryan Presley was that for us just with uh, the sheer volume and totals that he received us for us later on in the season. So that's kind of how it was built, but there were some mistakes made. Like I mentioned, Javi Baez wasn't that great. Um, yeah, there's, so you take some lumps, you know, along the way, even Frank. So Frankie Montas was probably the worst pitcher that we drafted. Uh, he started off hot and then the back spasm started to flare up and then it was a tough scene watching him. So <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah, that that was the team. That's awesome. That's a nice combo to hit on Seager and Machado, and I'm sure you got Seager at a pretty good. He was going at a pretty good range last year. Don't forget Ozuna. <laughs> oh, Ozuna, yeah. Just Ozuna those three, man. Those were like the three NL thumpers. Yeah, they yeah they really. That's they were. I mean, they right were the right. nuts. Right, absolutely. My best team was Story and Freeman. You know, first two rounds back to back. They. They just did everything, everything I needed. Steals, average, power. Um, yeah, it, it's when you get that offensive, you know, guys that could just like lean on. It's huge, it's huge, especially in a short year. You know, um, did you feel like the comp? Um, the because it was my first year playing, so I don't know with the competition, um, like because of the short season, maybe the standings were more closer, did you feel like there was an, like, an, an elevated play across a board, like people were more involved at the end because the standings were closer? Yeah, so the parity was much tighter because the season was closer, thus, especially when we look at fantasy baseball as a marathon, the longer a season goes on, the longer teams are going to have the opportunity to stretch out the gap. And we saw that for sure, but we also saw a lot of high-stakes NFBC main event players buy more teams they essentially became sharks turned into whales and there was more volume being eaten up because the season was shorter and we weren't traveling plus the buy-in was five hundred dollars less a team so it just it, it it infested the waters to be honest with you but it was it was a really fun year and um it was it was definitely a unique one. I'm excited to see what turns out to be in 2021 with the live events and everything online with main events and whatnot. But yeah, it was definitely different, and I do think it had a different volume to it because of the players adding more. They were the sharks did turn into wells for sure. They just everybody had more main event teams. If you've had main event teams in the past, you likely had more in 2020. Yeah, that's interesting. It's going to be an interesting year. I think it's all this uh, speculation now on the players, it's, it's just so fascinating to, you know, how people are weighing, which has happened. And it's, it's going to be awesome. I think it's like the, the, the most random year to, you know, really walk into. Um, it's nothing like we've ever experienced playing fantasy. So it should be interesting. Have, what, how much are you weighing 2020? Um, are you, is it like a case by case basis with you? Like for specific players? Um, in regards to like ranking a person, evaluating, yeah. like projecting, um, well, the, well, the projection system's going to, I explained how that's going to come out. Right. So right. once, once that kind of spits out whatever it does, those people are going to start it for me right. and, um, they're weighing things in all different sorts of matters. But then when I take it under that magnifying glass, right after I get those numbers, um, yeah, each person will. And especially because I do look at each person, um, each person will have a different standards. Um, if adjustments were made, adjustments can be real. Right. Um, that's Absolutely. certainly true. Uh, and so you, you shouldn't just ignore those things, but there's also players. It's, it's going to be really weird. There could be players like, for example, I think, Patrick Corbin could be a very interesting person. I was shocked that his ADP was so low, but initially or still even um, I'm not in at the current price. I don't think, or I'm not because I was just telling you earlier that I'm in a DC and I didn't take him, And I had the opportunity, I believe right. in the ninth or 10th round. And um, there's two sides of his fence, right? So the, the, the dip in velocity, the slider getting hit more, the slider not being as elite, the strikeout rate going down. People can, can attribute to that. Well, maybe he wasn't in a groove. Maybe he didn't do X, Y, or Z like he normally does, and it just threw him off. Short season. But then on the flip side, it's like, 
okay, well, it's a short season and usually pitchers are able to kind of ramp things back more up and get more intense and, and they're more successful. And then you take that into 2021 and you either get like, seriously, you either get a good Patrick Corbin or a bad Patrick Corbin, like Jekyll or Hyde. And we just simply don't know. And like you've mentioned, like we can't say, well, he's a good value. That's a perfect example why you can't say Patrick Corbin is a good value. We fucking don't know if he's a good value. Right. You can say, I think he could return a good investment, but we certainly don't know. Um, and so it's going to be different how you weigh those things, especially like Patrick Corbin. Are we weighing the dip in velocity in a short season? I think that's a concern, right? I mean, for that pitcher, um, maybe so. you have concerns about an uptick in velocity, like, hey, Tristan McKenzie started out the gate really hot. Look at that velocity and it dip. Now I have long-term concerns about velocity. Right. Um, but maybe there's guys that kept up the Kevin Gossman was the guy that's been talked about, um, you know, recently about keeping the velocity. So each person definitely is, you know, it's all different case by case scenario. Gotcha. Gotcha. I wanted to ask you about um, high stakes leagues that have no overall prize. And I wanted to know if like you have vast um, approaches to league that have overall prizes like in terms of roster construction, game theory, all that? Yeah. Um, so you're talking about a standalone, which is um, kind of like, so the tag team championship co-owner league that we'll have, that's a standalone. There won't be an overall prize. Uh, if anybody's listening is familiar with the diamond or platinum leagues, those are $10,000 and $15,000 entries, and they don't have an overall prize as well. So those types of leagues they are built differently. Uh, and you'll notice though, that there's no perfect formula. And the reason behind that is because each owner comes in with a different plan of attack. You can see a guy completely fade steals. You can see a guy completely fade saves. Somebody might punt batting average. There's no perfect plan. Um, but it, there is certainly a different plan in between a standalone and an overall for the overall component. It's easier for me to speak about it's five by five roto stuff every single stat possible um you know don't don't sink the boat overnight so it's just um it's they're definitely different beasts yeah gotcha um what is your best non-obvious tip that you could give anyone getting involved with um a main event league or nfbc any high stakes nfbc league Get your shit together and fab and stick with it the entire season. And that means every single day, whether it's starting to click people in fab that you're interested in dropping people that you just know that you're going to cut, um, being lenient in how you're going to trim your fat at the bottom. You have to know that you have to churn and burn. You, you need to be complacent in free agency. A lot of success in those types of leagues is done throughout that. And it is through fab. Awesome. That that's a great answer right there. That's that's gonna be the audiogram of this episode. I already wrote down the time marker. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> yeah, leave oh. it to Fab. Uh, by the way, you can check my Fab article. At yes. Fab. Check it out. <laughs> check it out. <laughs> um. Yeah, your Fab articles and your Fab podcast were awesome to share. Bam. I yeah. Um, yeah. I'll be doing a, on the FTN Fabcast with Chris Meany, who I did for the NFFC season. Right. Um, yeah. We'll be doing that for NFBC as well. So I'm really excited for that. Sweet, man. Please excuse us while we take this short break and enjoy this wonderful robot segment brought to you by Phil Dussault on Twitter at Phil Dussault 27. That's spelled P-H-I-L-D-U-S-S-A-U-L-T 27. This is the Robot Is It Real segment where the robot himself, Phil Dusso, talks about random baseball stats. I first got the idea for today's topic from Toby Bathup Crazy, who mentioned on his podcast that something was off about Trevor Bauer's K-minus walk rate on 3-2 counts. Here are the K-minus walk rates for Bauer on 3-2 counts since 2015. Minus 12%, minus 17%, 8%, minus 8%, minus 3%, and last year, 36%. Other starting pitchers who were especially good on 3-2 counts in 2020 are Zach Plesak, Jacob DeGrom, Zach Davies, Shane Bieber, 
Zach Greinke, and Marco Gonzalez. I decided to look at all starting pitchers with 80 or more innings pitched in consecutive seasons since 2010. Of the 62 pitchers who had a K-minus walk rate of over 10% on 3-2 counts, only 15 managed to do it again the following year. Of the starting pitchers who threw more than 500 innings over the past 20 years, Chris Sale has the best K-minus walk rate on 3-2 counts at 11%, and then other aces like Jacob deGrom, Corey Kluber, Greg Maddox, Grant Randy Johnson, and Pedro Martinez are all between 5 and 10%. If we change Bauer's K-minus walk rate on 3-2 counts to 5% instead of 36%, it brings his overall K-minus walk rate from 29.9% all the way down to 24%. The reason I believe this is important to look at is that Trevor Bauer threw over 1,100 pitches last year. By changing his K-minus walk rate on 3-2 counts from 36% to 5%, all I'm doing is changing the result of 8 of those pitches, 8 of those 1,100 pitches. He was very clutch last year in 3-2 counts, but as we've seen in the past, being clutch over a short period of time usually means a player was just lucky. All right, next format, NFPC, draft champions. Um, tell me about your preferred batter pitcher split. 26, 24, uh, 26 hitters, 24 pitchers. And then at least to the minimum, um, there's a couple things here. So for me, at least, I think we all have our different preferences as to like things that we staple in the back of our heads. But for me, four to five catchers at least, and then I kind of over-evaluate or overweigh, I'm sorry, uh, the outfield. I do not want to, in this format, I know that outfield looks deep on the outside, but once you scratch the surface, um, you're starting five, and then how many, you know, X amount of outfielders are on your bench, and then guys get hurt, guys are going to get COVID, guys lose their jobs, guys suck and underperform and, or, or some guys are just stuck in the minors or whatever. You're drafting 50 rounds. Um, you need a deep outfield. So that's, that's where I would lean. Yeah. The outfield is pretty critical. I know um, maybe in a different type of league, you can, you know, build later, but yeah, if it gets to a point where you're looking at platoons, you know, and it gets hairy. When you're like, when you start like, all right, well, this guy's maybe going to get 380 at bat. And now if you're relying on those guys as your, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh guys, like load up, get, get the guys, you know, your seventh outfielder, eighth outfielder, try to try to get them in the 500 later parents, you know, range, you know, just build that up, have that flexibility. Like you said, pretty critical. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, if people aren't familiar, so the draft champions is a draft and hold, meaning you draft your team and, and I'm sure everybody in your audience, they probably know, but if you draft your team, basically that's the team you have and you have to hold them. So it's 50 rounds, which is grueling and it's 15 teams. There's no fab, there's no free agency. So there's whatever mistakes or injuries or whatever, you're stuck with them. That They're your husband and wife for the rest of the season. So you, the volume, volume is king always, but this more more so because you can't just cut an injured guy and grab you know a replacement player to fill in that volume there is none of that you've got what you got right absolutely um how much of a premium do you put on multi-eligibility players i honestly don't overweigh it but if i'm close in a decision between player x and player y player y has multiple position eligibility i'm going to go with player y gotcha Joe Joe Madden would like you. Fuck yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> he was he was overrated before he got lucky and won that fucking World <laughs> Series. Fuck that. I'm not a fan of Joe Madden. He's the worst. <laughs> oh right, the roast Joe Madden night. Okay, all right. Um, online champions. <laughs> Tell me about that format. Um, and how you go from a 15 team league to 12 team league mindset much different beast um being less aggressive when it comes to the lower tier players in fab you don't need to overspend on some of those guys so stick to the one two three dollars instead of five seven nine eleven twelve some of these random numbers just to get somebody because of the depth the depth in the player pool is much deeper in a 12 team format um more mistakes can be made as well because you can make up for it in fab don't 
over evaluate a certain position when it comes to making those mistakes early. So if you are somebody that plays for a low, low floor, or I'm sorry, a high floor, but you're worried about this, you know, you don't want the high ceiling and you're worried about um, the low floor, you can make those mistakes. So if you like a player in that 12 team format, and this isn't the main event, you don't, you're not putting 17 scared money, don't make money. So I would basically play like that. And I would have a little bit more risk. I'd be more risk averse. Easy way to say it. I said, sorry, this is fucking rambling on. <laughs> you can, you can be way more risk adverse than those. You, you really can. Um, mistakes can be made much more in those and you're not going to be burned because that, that when you look at the fab and a rotowire online championship and who's available each week, the streaming options or, you know, the offensive options more so it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's beautiful. If you're accustomed, yeah, it is really. So don't be scared. If you like somebody, take your shot. Go for the upside. I like it. You're here to win the overall. I mean, you you know, you're investing 350 bucks. I mean, sure, the twelve hundred dollars or whatever to win the league, that's cool, but the Wire Online Championship has a fat overall uh prize. So shoot for the upside. Do not be scared about be risk adverse in those. Take the upside guy. Go for it. Shoot for the moon. Love it. Swing away. No bunting. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off, Joe, man. <laughs> um, okay. And what about cut line, cut line best ball leagues? Um, I saw you were pretty, you did pretty well in all your cut line leagues. So tell me, tell me how you, <laughs> yeah. Tell me how you, how you um, change from a, roto type of league to a point system you know it's funny because i don't have any point projection system or any i don't look at anything to be honest for you uh to you in a cut line when i draft those i draft them raw and in my head there are only 10 teams every team is deep they're stacked people make a ton of mistakes in roster construction that's the first part the second part is how they manage the two fab periods um If you're able to be strict and pay attention to those things, you will be successful. For one, you'll win your league. That's easy. And then you're going to be competing for an overall. And to advance, you just kind of need to build those pieces through the draft, obviously. But uh, figuring out the fab processes are are huge in those because there are only two, but you still are given the same budget. But when building the team, I think the first part is writing down how much or how many players you need at each position, similar to a draft champions, but there's a little bit of fab. So there's some wiggle room there. And I think that's important to note because um, you, you can, in that first fab process, there are a lot of excellent players. There could have been like, for example, in a 10 team last year, Kyle Tucker might've not been drafted in a 2020 cut line. But then he started to ball out. People might have went 300, 400. I would have went like seven or eight hundred dollars on Kyle Tucker. Um, because you'll notice that in the second fab, if the league prize is only $250 on a $150 entry or whatever it is, I don't know the exact amount for the league prize, but it's not a lot. The teams that aren't going to win the league, they're already ass out. They're not even logging in to check that fucking cut line team. They don't give a fuck about that team. So the second fab, if you're contending, you're going to be able to spread $1 here, $1 there. And if you spend the time, you are going to have success in that second fab process that is worth potentially $10,000, $20,000. So that is the two extremes is how to manage that fab. And I am adamant on spending and being very, very, very aggressive in the first period. You have to be. Go overboard. I like it. Yeah, get it early too. I mean, right? And have have that player on your team for a longer span of time as well. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that too. That on top right? of that. But I, I'm telling you, the competition yeah. for FAP, you'll, seven of those 10 teams aren't even going to fucking put in a dollar on anybody because they're toast. They're They're gone. They don't give a fuck. So, yeah, so it's easier to come in on a cheaper bids on the second one. Gotcha. Makes sense. And, and, and the contingencies, too, on those. Pile them on. I mean, I'll have my cut line contingencies 
are it's it's insane i'm cutting let's say four players there's like fucking 25 30 players for one cut you know it's yeah <laughs> and i'll dollar i'll and, and i'll dollar it out if i spent 978 dollars on the first one i'll 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 get that 22 spent trust me and and i'll and i'll make it a stretch as far as possible awesome <clears throat> that's uh it's like a it's a, it's sometimes a nerve wracking process the fab you know because especially when you do so many um you know it's sometimes you lose track of what you do <laughs> yeah be careful of how many leagues you join that have fab though <laughs> right right is there, is there a max number that you put on it oh i'll have less than 10 less absolutely than 10. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'll have more than that league-wise, but those will be I'll even cutline included, cutline and DCs. Um, you know, more than ten, obviously, but uh, yeah, less than ten fab for sure. Yeah, it gets it gets pretty. I'm not bad. a sociopath. <laughs> it it gets out of it gets out of hand quickly. Um, so you talked about auction leagues. Um, so I wanted to get into a couple of auction questions, and you know, just try to see how you prefer to do drafts. I know um, there's like different kind of drafters, you know, you know, guys will just, some guys will have three guys that they'll target to come in and they'll go out and get them at pretty much a reason, like any reasonable cost. And then I know a lot of people like to put their players in buckets of dollar values, like, you know, 20 to 25, 30 to 35, um, and then I know people who just have exact dollar values and they don't really, you know, go f- too much from those values. So I was wondering if you have a specific way you tend to approach your draft in an auction. Uh, yes, absolutely. When you're investing $2,500 in an auction, you've got to have some sort of plan of attack, right, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it comes with, uh, you have to have the whole player pool in an evaluation. You have to have your own or some sort of valuation. Maybe they're not your own evaluation, but you need to have a evaluation of right. the player. Um, and then I, I, w- I would highly recommend you would have an understanding of the market. Uh, maybe you look at an AAV, which is the average auction value for each player. But for me, when targeting a player, it's it's actually not targeting a player. Um, at some point in the auction, obviously, you know, the, the when you get later on in the draft, but when you're asking me about a certain player and the dollar amount, you can't go above it. You can't go extremely above it just because it's player, you know, the name on the back of the Jersey or anything. It's more about the categories provided or what you're trying to build in roster construction. That's the important part. It's not about, Hey, I need player, you know, a, because he is X amount of dollars. And then I've got to buy them at that or whatever, or I can go above it because I have to have him. It's more about what you need and then how much you're willing to spend for that need. So you get your evaluations and all of that done. And then, you know, um, we'll have an XROI model built and that'll have a positive or negative to them. So the big person I'd like to use an example is uh, Christian Yellick, his MVP season. And when he, or when he first moved over to Milwaukee, he was going for like $25 um, in auctions 28 at the max and when he was spit out at the at the rx roi he had like a positive six or seven which is insane because his aav was like 24 or 25 and so somebody like that when you realize something like that then you can overspend if you believe into the system or whatever it is but i don't highly recommend just overspending because it's player whomever and you have to get him you can't do that Right, it's you just have gonna to like, be within reason, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. But if if someone, there are players though that could be going for ten dollars on average, and you're you're just hundred percent in on like let's say the XROI is seven dollars at that point, then fuck it, go twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I mean, if you're that's a little different. But when it's somebody in the first those first round players, if you're looking at it in draft format or a pitcher, a top pitcher like. Cole or DeGrom and it's $40 or whatever. And you can't go, you can't just keep going because their name or, you know, they're the top, top, top guy. You can't lose your money there. 
Um, there's just there's all kinds of shit with auctions though, man. There's there's yeah, it's, it's Pandora's box, man. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, you can't you don't want to hold your money either. That's one thing. You don't want to be the last person buying in a tier. Never be the ba- last person buying in a tier. There's right. one you notice that there's three le- of that top tier outfielder or even starting pitcher. So like, if we pull up, let's let's use starting pitcher real quick if you don't mind, Rob. When in regards to when a tier dries up, uh, in we'll use the starting pitchers as an example, the elite tier. There's 10 pitchers when looking at a draft uh, that are going in the first two rounds on average, and it ends with Max Scherzer going with ADP of 29, and he's the 10th SP off the board. So if you think that that's your first tier of pitchers and you're in an auction, and let's hypothetically say all of them are gone except for Luis Castillo and Max Scherzer, you're already putting yourself in the corner. And if you do not get one of those two, the price is going to end up being close to Jacob DeGrom or or Garrett Cole or Shane Bieber because everyone in the room is now needing their second SP for the pocket aces format, or maybe it's their first ace and just everybody starts to topple on their bids and it gets really gross. So if, if you, if you're adamant on selecting somebody in a certain dollar tier, then make sure that you just pay for one early on and ignore the name a little bit. If you think player A and player B are very similar and you have their evaluations, you know, equal or close to, then I think that you should just, you know, you should be biting early and, you know, get, get spend the money, get it off the board because you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to have, you know, you'll have your end game too. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother beast. You need to have a whole fucking, you have to have a whole, Whole whole map. segment on uh, yeah on auctions it's it's a yeah it's a lot <laughs> do you have a like a nominated a nomination strategy do you absolutely should, yeah mm-hmm. yeah just um yeah. you don't want to you don't want to give trends so like always nominating a player and then never saying speaking up after that is stupid and then you never want to nominate a player and just continuously bid on the person until you buy him obviously because you got to have some sort of poker mindset when you enter these auctions. So nominate guys that you don't want, nominate guys that you do want, and then always be cognizant of their evaluations and maybe nominate something close to. So if looking at somebody like Shane Bieber, don't, don't say $5, $10, throw them out for at least $25. Um, yeah. That's the shit. And you know, speed yeah. up the clock for everybody. It, these these things take a lot of fucking time, and I don't want to want to be here just watching people go six, seven, eight, nine. So yeah, 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 yeah. Stop being ridiculous. You might get exactly. to it. Yeah, get to it. Cut the shit. Totally with that. Um, what about in auction? Do you have um like an inflation value that you use at all? Like in 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 the auction, I guess it's toward the money spent and the money that's left available. Absolutely. And I think that comes with the tears drying up. Right. Um, it's, it goes to show the, the, what you need. And if you need it, then you're going to be willing to spend more. So supply, it's a supply and demand theory, basically. Macroeconomics there. Yeah. Bam. Macroeconomics. That's it. Get into that and then get into fantasy baseball. <laughs> supply and demand, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned the end game. Are you the type that likes to like keep a couple bucks aside when it gets into the one dollar players, or does it not matter to you? It, it does, but it's dependent on roster construction. It's however the auction um, kind of builds itself together once you get there. If you notice that there are some holes in your team going in, and you felt uncomfortable with a couple of purchases early on, and you thought that you overspent then maybe you want to start to pull back a little bit to kind of fill out that depth a little bit. But if you're pretty confident in how you have wrought, you know, built your team for the most part, and it's getting close to the dollar days, then just, yeah, go with it and be continue to be aggressive until you're in the dollar days. And then just, you're basically drafting when it's your turn at that point. So um, I think it is dependent on roster construction. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I think it is too. I think you can't, you know, hold yourself to like, oh, I'm going to save because I think you just trap yourself. And you just got to be fluid during the auction. Got to be able to bend where it goes, you know, and um, and swim with it, you know, because it does get crazy. I think the biggest thing for me is just identifying 
like you said, those 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 teardrops, or 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 when the average value of a guy maybe in like 15 to 17 range and those guys are going for 10 to 11. And if you can't identify that, like in the draft, then you're going to fall behind because then you're going to be caught with $50 left when everyone has 11 and you're now you're just getting guys that you're just spending ridiculous money on. That's a tough scene. And it gets real quiet when that happens too, because it's (laughs) fucking depressing. (laughs) <laughs> it's the worst feeling man i've had it you know everyone goes through it sometimes and you just like you feel it because oh, you start looking man. at the player pool and you're like what did what did i do what just happened scratching you your know? head crossing guys off you're all like guess i'll fucking pay however the fuck much it costs for dude it's like no man i'm sorry then your friend everyone's just sitting back drinking pay, why'd you pay 27 for elvis andrews because i had money left <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough scene, dude. <laughs> it's tough, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I definitely don't want to be caught in that. Oh man. So, um, on your podcast, you were talking about DJ Lemayhew. So I had this quick question about a recent DC I did, and I was on my own podcast with Mike Curl and Mike, and me own talking trash about the same guy, DJ Lemayhew. Um, but I was out on his draft price of. 22 at the time who was in the middle of December and I just got him in a recent draft at 50 and I just wanted to see how you felt about that I'm just um, I'm asking everybody I know what do you think about that at 50 I, so that's the new max you know you, it is you right created, yeah yeah oh absolutely you created the new max there um Matt Matt Cupperly actually my my co-host on the FTN fantasy baseball podcast he was the one that added him to that episode on the podcast and the article. Nice. Um, but I, after discussing it with Matt, um, it, it all depends, I guess, on the roster construction that was built around him because we're confident to say that he's going to have an elite batting average, but he's, what do we cover? We covered the power. We covered the speed, right? Uh, yeah. And the batting average, of course. And he provides that, but if he's below average in speed and he's below average in the power department, we are going to definitely need the volume. So you're going to need a full season of health, which hasn't been an issue, but Hey, shit happens. You're so you'll need the full, the full volume of health, um, a good team context. And then you're going to need, which is a volatile statistic at times is the batting average to remain elite. So there's kind of a lot of things that need to go, in his favor again, but we've seen it for the last. Who says that it can't happen for another year? So I'm not against it. um, Especially if you were able to find other guys that have, you know, you you know how to build your teams. I mean, what did you, who who was available there? What was sitting in front of you when you could have taken him? Um, I, I forget. I forget. Honestly, don't have it. That's pulled okay. Up. All right. Yeah, That's but fine. I, I just knew. I just knew it was at the point where. Yeah, I just knew I was like at the point where, like I said, I was totally against um, going at him at that early price, it, and at fifty, I was like, oh, I guess. I'll, I mean, it was just. Uh, I, I don't had some, think he kills you. I don't think yeah. he kills you. And in a DC with multi-position eligibility, first base, second base, third base, middle infield, corner infield. I mean, fucking A, man. That's a safe pick. And you know what? Safe wins money. So fuck him. Fuck him. Uh, if, you know, yeah, fuck him, man. That's a good pick. He goes to, <laughs> it, He goes to the – let's say he goes to your beloved Dodgers. Mm. Um, what does he do? Was he best second behind Mookie? Yeah, I would. I I think so. Unless, unless – And then no, what are you looking they... at him in the two-hole? Like, you're, look, you're still looking at – you know, you're probably getting that coveted 200, you know, run plus RBI that you covet, right? Yes. I think so. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, he doesn't go down. I mean, he doesn't go down. He's in the top three of the lineup. Uh, the one thing that they could look to do is just flip-flop him and Seager, but then you're not going to complain about him hitting third in the lineup either. Right. So, right. Um, he'll, he'll, he would actually play third base for the Dodgers. So is that something that you think is possible, like possible? Sure. If 
if people, it doesn't seem like people are being aggressive to sign him. And I don't think many teams are being aggressive to sign anybody. I think some of these players are going to start to weigh where they want to live and which team they want to play for. Because if a lot of people have been, you know, rumored to be in on DJ LeMahieu, but let's just say all these different offers aren't too far off from each other, then players are just going to kind of, they're going to, do their own hopefully they'll get to do a little bit of cherry picking i mean they're getting fucked over so um yeah i i, I wouldn't be mad if they signed him I, I i'm not like looking forward to it though i'm not eager i'm not uh i haven't like typed his name in on twitter to see the latest like dodger dj lemayhew <laughs> update you know but he is a fucking good real life player though like that's Absolutely. the thing too and, yeah. and 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 so that's like I, yeah it's i don't know it's it's difficult with him, I guess. He's, he's a hard player to evaluate, man. It is, yeah. He is. Um, I think but he I don't was... think he kills you. And sometimes yeah. players, you know what? If you're caught in a bind, fuck, take the guy that ain't going to kill you. Unless uh, where I almost bit my tongue earlier in the 12-team Rotowire Online Championships. Take the guy with the upside. Take the guy with the up. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. All right, brother, man. We made it through the whole podcast. I really appreciate you joining me talking some good stuff and um, appreciate you getting out on Friday and uh, getting involved with the little podcast league, getting on the zoom. We'll have some fun getting tired each other brain a little bit, troll each other's picks. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Hopefully you time. and I don't, don't scare uh, too many off by how much you and I party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, go ahead. Uh, I'll give you the opportunity to let everyone know where to find you, what you do, where you can find your stuff these days. Yeah. First, I'd just like to thank you first and foremost for asking me to come on. Uh, it's a lot of fun hanging out with you. It's a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, man. Uh, welcome to the community, man. Like I said earlier, you made a big splash uh, right away, which is awesome. Keep that going. I know that you have the fire in you. So the momentum's with you. And you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Mattywood underscore. And all of my work will be found at ftnfantasy.com. I recently came out with an Ozzy Albies piece just trying to figure out if his draft cost is worth um, what he's going for. So you can find that over there for free at ftnfantasy.com. Rob, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. Amen, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for welcoming me into the community with open arms. That's great. It's great being around a bunch of guys who have the same type of mindset and can just, uh, you know, get lost in our little fantasy world. Pretty cool. All right, Matty. Well, see you each other soon, buddy. Hey, Let- I'll, see, I'll, I'll see you in less than 48 hours, brother. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Later.